sometimes I cover a lot of scripture in a particular message, and sometimes you just focus in on a few verses. Today is one of the focus in on a few verses. Uh, after covering all of chapter 7 with the story of Stephen, in one message, it uh, <clears throat> we're not going to cover quite so much. And actually, one of the verses we kind of wrapped in last week uh, when we were uh, talking about the church that was scattered. And we're going to come to verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible with you, that's good. If not, just follow along. I think it'll be projected. And listen well, and <clears throat> we'll, uh, we'll look together at... Uh, uh, a new a new character, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll dig in on him in a minute. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 8 says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. That's a very succinct portion of Scripture to talk about a new chapter that's uh, about to be unfolded here in the history of the growth and expansion of the church. Um, <clears throat> I was intrigued that one of the, uh, in the mission prayer request thing, on Mozambique, they were the, the one prayer request at the end was a prayer for missionaries that would serve and suffer. Did you catch that? It would serve and suffer for for Jesus. And um, we're usually okay with the serving part, you know. But this business about suffering, we I don't know if that's what I want to sign up for. Um, and in the early church, uh, as we've been going through this book of the history of the birth of the church, um, things have been really popping. You know, you go to church and a couple thousand people incorporated in and expansion takes place and have ministry opportunities with these deacons in Acts chapter 6 and and then there's this little bit of a change from some persecution that sets in. And then you have the chapter about Stephen where he really did get to suffer as well as serve, suffer for Jesus, and it created a, a challenge. Now we're going to come to a new character in terms of the man Philip. And uh, his name literally means, what does it mean, Amber? It means lover of horses. It's a site for whatever it's worth. Uh, <clears throat> but at any rate, um, we're going to get into him a little bit more this morning, but also uh, there's a lot more to cover with him later in this, this chapter as well. I want to talk about the mission of the church and the thing that is true about it. It is always the same um, for, for any church. You know, we, we're in this denominational group called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. It's, it's the long word, you know. And when they were talking about at the very front of the service and they're doing that bilingual thing, you know, English, Spanish kind of thing, they got to the 
uh, I, I can't get it in Spanish. If it was in French, I could get it. But but, the, but they were talking about the Christian Mission Alliance, and then and the gal translated it CNMA. Did you catch that? CNMA. It just it's, it didn't have a crowbar with her, so it just put it to the short version. And uh, so uh, focus on that uh, at that point. But we're part of this group, and and there is a mission statement that the alliance has, and the vision statement, and all those kinds of things. But the mission of what the alliance is about has been going on for a long while since its inception in the late 1800s and, and, and how it has developed and grown. But what has changed are the people, the personnel, uh, the messengers have changed. And um, for the church moving forward in this book of Acts, it's the mission still the same but there is a change of characters who are carrying on that mission. So that's what we're going to go uh, look at a bit today. I read once that it's been said that every human institution goes through three stages of development. And uh, you, you think on this one. First, it started by risk takers, people who might be on the edge taking a chance. Uh, then it's eventually handed over to caretakers, and at some point, decline sets in, and the institution is led by undertakers. Now, that, that may be overstatement a little bit, you know. But we're talking about risk takers, caretakers, undertakers. Any institution, it doesn't have to be the church, but any institution can always run. And it usually happens when the undertakers show up, it's because they've lost the mission. They've forgotten what the mission is about. They've lost their first love, the thing that has made them that has driven them and made them tick. So we can smile at that, but too many churches have lost their mission focus. Not missions focus, but just what they are to be about and are simply maintaining until they have a funeral for the church. Um, I was talking with Don last week, and I asked, I said, what are you reading? He's got a grocery list of books. And he said one of the books he's going to read, I was familiar with, it's called The Autopsy of a by Tom Rainier, The Autopsy of a Church. In other words, what are the things that are characteristic of a church that is dead or dying, and maybe they haven't discovered it yet? And so what are the characteristics? What are the things that we need to avoid so we don't become uh, a church upon whom an autopsy is, is given? So this morning I want to look at this fairly short portion of Scripture and catch a couple things. Uh, uh, let's see if I got it here. Let's see. Uh, there it is. Okay. Uh, we're catching the, the mission, the messenger, and the message. So if you're looking for what goes into the blanks in the bulletin, we'll get to it. But that's essentially kind of a nutshell capture at the first point. So I want to first talk about the, the mission, the clear mission of the church. And that's what verse 4 was. We, we, we wrapped up last week with that, briefly looking at it. And I want to start it off with that again just to remind us about its importance. Therefore, verse 4 says, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. I told you last week that in the NIV, you're missing a word, and it's this conclusion word, therefore. You know, on the basis of what's happened before, here's the conclusion they went about. And uh, th those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. A couple things about that. Uh, first is they were scattered. We talked a little bit about this. It wasn't, it wasn't their idea to say, okay, now what are we going to do? How are we going to get this word out? 
so they didn't come up with a committee that said, I think you need to go here and you need to go there or whatever. Because of the persecution, everyone, every believer was talked about, back it up uh, into the uh, verse uh, or one, uh, a great persecution breaks out in the church and uh, all except the apostles were scattered. They didn't choose to scatter. They were scattered. It, 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 was, it was a pressure that came upon them that sent them out. And, and the, the word literally is, uh, when it talks about scattered, is, is, is seed sowing. We talked last week about the parable of the sowers, the parable of the sower, rather, that that was what they're about, about casting seed, putting it out there in order that it might grow, in order that the kingdom might be extended. <clears throat> this particular emphasis or movement um, is often referred in, in when you get in the study of, it, of what they call the diaspora. Now, it just it's, you can almost hear your word disperse from that Greek word, diaspora, sent out. But it's a group of people who were simply scattered, who were given the challenge to go uh, to uh, a different spot because because of the changes that were coming, because of the pressure that was coming. I came across an interesting story uh, this week. Um, and it has to do with a little town in, in Alabama called Enterprise, Alabama. I, I was trying, I, I couldn't find a picture of Enterprise, Alabama, like whatever. But, but apparently in the town, there's a, there's a very strange monument. It's a memorial to an insect. It's not the kind of thing you would normally have as claim to fame kind of thing, you know. Handsomely carved in stone is the likeness of a bowl weevil. And many believe that divine providence was involved in the circumstances that led to the erection of the unusual statue. In the early plantation days, almost everyone in the community raised cotton. But as the years rolled on, you know the story in terms of this pestilence, this, this bowl weevil that shows up that creates havoc, and it became very difficult with this beetle um, that affected the plants, and, and they could no longer profitably make cotton. So names like George Washington Carver, among others, would pop up in terms of your memory and history, and they became concerned about the situation, and they began to study what could be done. And it wasn't so much that they were trying to remedy the cotton problem. They were trying to figure out what can we do as an alternative. And they found that peanuts became the, the next best option in terms of profitability. And the peanut industry in Alabama, in the South, or Georgia, or wherever, was, that was the answer. They, they planted, they harvested, and there was very little loss. In time, cotton gins were forgotten in the region and became known as an outstanding peanut center of the world. And soon, farmers' profits far exceeded what they had earned from their best cotton yield. And in the end, they realized that the destructive insect that they had actually feared was actually the thing that triggered the research that brought them prosperity. How is it that the church goes through this tough spot, and what does it come out looking like on the other side? And sometimes even those hard spots. Uh, perhaps there have been things in your life that have brought some level of destruction or stress or trauma, and, and through it, 
God has still showed himself to be faithful, and he has ways of turning it around. They they were scattered. The other thing that verse 4 says that they preached, and I use the phrase, the gospeling of the gospel. Uh, there are several words that are used in the language of Scripture to talk about preaching, and, and we often think about the guy who stands up front and gives a message to a congregation, <clears throat> and that is one of the words that is used. But the word that is used here is literally mean to to spread good news. You uh, that's just a Greek word, euangelizo. Okay, so they preach this good news, and and probably the best expression of that is captured in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah 52.7 has a phrase, and I don't know if you're good at memorizing Scripture or references. Sometimes people are good at, refer at, at Scripture memorization, but they don't have the address. They, they, they can't remember where it was found. I know it was in the Bible somewhere. You know, uh, at least they hope it was in the Bible somewhere. But sometimes I find it very helpful to memorize some scripture when I can put it to song. I, I don't know if you've ever done that. But, so here's a song. It goes with Isaiah 52.7. It goes like this. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns, our God reigns. That's a, that's a chorus from probably... A few years ago, but that's Isaiah 52.7, and that was good news. And, and the phrase in Isaiah 52.7, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. That's euangelizo. That's, that's gospeling the gospel. I, I probably could have said gossiping the gospel, but sometimes gossip's got some bad overtones, so let's just gospel it. We're just going to tell people good news. It's not like they're preaching. It's just sharing the good news. And the interesting thing is the character that we run into here is a man who is not clergy. Philip is one of the table waiters. But I get ahead of myself a little bit. So they preached. There was this gospeling of the gospel. They simply had a message to share and didn't know anything better than to tell somebody uh, because of what they experienced. I read a story of a Chinese farmer who had gone to a mission clinic and he had cataracts and they performed a procedure that dealt with the cataracts. And the next week, when they looked out the window, here's this guy comes with a whole bunch of friends, all of whom were holding onto a rope. And he had them bringing them with him to come to get some help at this clinic. He didn't know any better than to simply tell one person where they could get their issue addressed. I think we talked about this before with the definition of evangelism. It said evangelism, the simplest definition of evangelism I've ever heard is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. And I like that. I like that. It's a similar kind of thing here. They simply share what they have encountered. They gospel the gospel. So they were scattered, they preached, and they went about wherever, wherever, wherever it was that God had pushed them. And it seems like there was no, there wasn't necessarily a mission strategy that was established. They were, they were scattered everywhere. So anywhere becomes the prospect of being able to share the good news. I mentioned last week 
about a situation that, uh, that adopted in the late 1940s in, in China when the nationalization of the government was taken over by the communists. Uh, 637 China, China Inland Mission China Inland Missionary China Inland Mission Missionaries. Sometimes that's a mouthful. 637 of them were obliged to leave. It was much more civil than the Boxer Rebellion in 1900 when they simply came in and killed the missionaries. This is a little bit kinder exit. But it seemed like the mission was going to go south. It was just it was going to fall apart. It was like a disaster. Yet within four years. 286, almost 300 of those missionaries had been redeployed to Southeast Asia and to Japan, while the national Christians in China, even under severe persecution, began to multiply. Now, if, if I were to give you an assignment task for next week, it would be, see if you can find out on, on uh, uh, persecuted church websites or wherever you can find, see if you can find out what are the most recent estimates of the size of the church in China? What does it look like now? And uh, regardless of what the numbers are you find, I will tell you that it is far more than one would expect because even in the midst of the persecution, when the church had to go underground, it continued to expand and grow. Now, I know that there are all kinds of issues in China in terms of the, the registered church and the, the people that control your message and tell you this is what you're going to preach and don't rock the boat against anything of the party and all those kinds of things. But the church, even when they are able to find out a little bit about this underground church and house churches and those kinds of things, there are some amazing stories of how God has uh, encountered, uh, God has used people uh, even in the midst of the persecution and stuff. Do you remember I did a video clip a, number, a while back now uh, when I was preaching about the centrality of the Word of God, and I was, it was a missionary clip done by John Bechtel, and it was about, it was about a missionary, or about, about a, he went into Hong Kong after he'd been taken and moved out, was able to get back in and visit, and how he ran into uh, somebody wanted to find out, show me a Christian. Show me a Christian here in Hong Kong. And uh, went back into mainland China, and they, they found this one gal who had uh, st stood for Jesus, and, and her punishment was she had to clean sewers for the rest of her days. And uh, she showed up, and, uh, she, and uh, John Bechtel had... Uh, Remember, it was the T-shirt Bible story where they they had they took took <laughs> took portions of the Bible and compiled them together in bound in a T-shirt in order to give to this gal, and her response was, "Boo boy, boo boy, precious, precious word of God." Even in the midst of the persecution, God's word is still able to grow and transform the lives of people. It's a clear mission that the church has. Second thing is that there's a church with an available messenger. I'm going to talk about this guy, Philip, for a minute. You don't find a lot of information about him. You only find that he was among the table waiters, the people who were asked to serve in Acts chapter 6. Interesting, you back it up uh, real, real quick if, uh, if I can get it there quick enough. 
They listed a group of people uh, in verse 5 uh, of Acts chapter 6. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at him already, but the second guy in, the second guy in is Philip. And that's all we get. We just get a name. We didn't know if it was Mr. Philip, Philip whatever, we don't, you know, however that works, you know. So we'll just call him Philip because that's what the scriptures call him. And here in verse 4, it says, or verse 5, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. A couple things about Philip. Uh, who was he? He was a layman. He, he, he didn't go to cemetery, seminary. He didn't, he, didn't go, he didn't have that benefit of training, you know. Um, he was simply a, one of the waiters of Acts chapter 6. Where did he go? He went to Samaria. Now, we know enough background freight and story uh, from the stories of the gospel how there was this rub that exists between Jewish people and the Samaritans. John chapter 4 tells a story about Jesus coming to a well uh, and, and the, the Samaritan woman that approaches him. And just the dialogue that's there. And there was this kind of like, what do you, why do you have anything to do with me? Don't you know that, you know? And because of its past history, and I had to go back in the Old Testament, and you find it, you know, that the Samaritan people had 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 pretty much uh, combined a lot of elements. They took some of the Old Testament. They'd only take the first five books of the Bible, and then they would blend it in with some of the religions of their culture around them. So it's kind of like, we would call it syncretistic. They just put a bunch of pieces together, and this became their their religion. Uh, they set up uh, Mount Gerizim as being more important than Jerusalem um, as far as the worship point and that kind of thing. So there were a bunch of things. So Philip goes to Samaria, goes to a place that he probably is not all that welcome in, and there's this rub that goes on. But why did he go? Why did he go? I think it went because Acts 1-8 was still in the book. At least it was in the heart and mind of the mission of the church. You shall be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria. The most part of the earth. It's all part of God's plan. Even if it wasn't part of their thinking at that point in time, God begins to send them out. And so what does Philip leave behind? He's in Jerusalem. Things are popping at the church there. He's had the opportunity to have hands-on experience there. So he leaves the comforts of home. He leaves the culture he knows. He leaves his friends who had been scattered. He leaves his prejudice against the Samaritans. Samaritans, And he leaves his own personal agenda in order to simply obey the promptings of God. I said last week that there was a word that I wanted to use, and that was that he was a man in succession, in the succession. When you look through the book of Acts, you find all these, these guys, these characters. Um, you have Peter in the first five chapters of the book of Acts. You have the apostles described in verse 12. You have the seven who are appointed, which included Stephen and Philip. You have Saul in Acts chapter 9. I know we didn't get there yet, but these are these are guys who, who are following in the train, um, in, in response, in, in opportunity, uh, responding to opportunity. When the, when the challenge comes with that crisis, comes an opportunity. Um, there's a song by Steve Green called "May All Who Find Us May May All Who Come Behind Us Find Us Faithful." You know, 
We're pilgrims in the journey of the narrow road, and those who gone before us light the way. Da 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 da. Whatever the rest of the words are, but the, the chorus says, "Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light the way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live." Inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faith. We are people who live in succession. Now, if you're like me, uh, I came out of uh, a family that had some nominal religious background or trapping. But they didn't really go to church all that much. Uh, on On my mom's side... It was more of the uh, the grandparents there that were faithful attenders at Bethel Baptist Church at Erie, PA. And uh, so they they were much more involved. But uh, my parents just didn't have a whole lot of time for that. Um, And so I was kind of an odd duck out when I came to faith and I began to get into this business of, Accepting Christ as my personal Savior, that's the backseat of a fiat story. I think I may have told you that. If not, ask me sometime, I'll tell you. But uh, the point is that I came to a point where I received Christ as my personal Savior. I've been following him ever ever since. It's not without its bumps and bruises along the way, but nonetheless, still proceeding. I'm part of a succession. I've started a succession, if you will. And so I have four children, and they're married, and they have... They're families of their own, so they've got this dozen grandkids. And I begin to think about, okay, uh, we started something. Barb and I started something, and, and, and these children are following in the way of God, and, and I'm grateful for that. I know that there's no guarantee that they're going to pursue that, but that's, God has been good. The, the scriptures say the lines have fallen unto us in pleasant places is the way the psalmist puts it. So uh, there is part of a succession. And then so you have these grandchildren. That we, as we pray for them, we get together. When, when Barbara and I sit down at night and pray for, and cover them over, we just, God would just continue to draw them to himself. And so that's part of the, part of the plan. But he, he's in succession. He's, he's always about that. Uh, there's a historian of the church named Kenneth Scott Lauderat, he wrote a number of historical works, but he made this comment. He said, the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession. That was their job. They were the, the, the chief pastor or the chief priest, if you will. But they were men and women who carried on their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those they met in this natural fashion. It was... It was lay people that were very much at the core of the expansion of the church. And so that was the messenger. Philip became available. And available is a key word there. It's not our ability, but our availability that God's much more interested in. I also said he practiced what he preached. And... uh, Verse 6 says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous sign he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Now, if you picked up a bulletin, I think I slipped in there this little poem by Edgar Guest. 
Uh, and so uh, let me let me read it for you. It, it's a, just a little quarter sheet. Maybe it's in your bullet. And if not, there's some extra copies on the back table there. Oh, the different table. If you came in this morning and you couldn't find a bulletin in a normal spot, it got moved. Okay, so you got to be flexible around here, you know. Never can tell. Next, next week we'll put them somewhere else. You know, keep you guessing. But this poem by Edgar Guest, I think it was very practical. It said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather you should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. But I, For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. For Philip, he practiced what he preached. When the crowds heard him and he preached, what's the message, we'll get to what the content of that was. When they heard him preach the Christ, it was something that attracted them. In addition to uh, that preaching, there were these miraculous signs that he did as well. So let me let me move ahead just a little bit to the church, not only in terms of its a clear mission, but the and and the messenger who is available, but the message because that that's important. Like I said, you know, we have a variety of ways in which we serve our community, and and, and it always involves the message of the gospel. It's not just come to church and be a good person. It's something else than that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. It's a church with a life-changing message, and that's what we always have to keep in mind. First is it's centered upon the Christ, the anointed one. The, this is a person about Jesus. And the scriptures in verse 5 of Acts 8 says, He went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Now, you understand that uh, Samaria is north. So uh, in my thinking, I would say, I went up to Samaria. But no, geographically, Jerusalem is higher in elevation than Samaria. So he really did go, go down to Samaria. But be that as it may, and he proclaimed the Christ there. The centrality of the message is the person of Jesus. Oh, my. Let's see. Let me give you some real quick theological history. Um, A.B. Simpson, Albert Benjamin Simpson, is the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, and uh, he, he was a very gifted speaker, uh, and he loved to write. He loved to put his sermons into song, okay? And he would sometimes have people that worked with him who would do that. He'd preach a sermon, and he'd say, I think this dog will hunt. Let's put it into a song. So here's, a, here's, here's, a, here's one of Simpson's songs. Um, and it's Jesus only. Okay, Jesus only is our message. Jesus all in all the sing. The words, but G chorus. Jesus only, Jesus ever, Jesus all in all we sing. 
Savior, Sanctifier, and Healer. Note the signage on that window. Glorious Lord and coming King. It's centered upon the Christ, the message of the of, of City Light Church. Uh, always has to be in its simplicity, Jesus only. Uh, it, it, that's the name on the door. Uh, not simply, but Christian and Missionary Alliance. And, and, and I realize in our days, sometimes denominational ties aren't the thing that drive people to come to a church. It's probably more one person to invite another person to come on to church with me, you know, kind of thing. And, and let's, let's learn together about God's word. That, that's probably the big driver simply put there. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's centered on the Christ. The second thing is it administered to the whole man, the whole man. And uh, so in, in the language of, of this, verse 7 says, With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Now, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff, but I was taken with the fact that the whole, the whole man, the message to the whole man, this is the little booklet that Frank was talking about last week that's available. You can find this on the website, alliancecmalliance.org, and it's kind of like the annual report, impact report. But listen, listen to some of the part, the little part of it here. I'll just read it real quick since, since you may not have got to look at it. So it says this. Who we are. Here's the language. All of Jesus for all the world. All of Jesus for all the world. The whole man. What we do, the CNMA establishes churches, schools, clinics, hospitals, community centers, radio stations, engages in other strategic initiatives in partnership with governmental and non-governmental organizations. CMA partners uh, and supporters help these vital ministries bring lasting, meaningful change but to the communities they serve. The CNMA also provides, here's, listen, holistic, yes, holistic, compassionate care to men, women, and children whose lives have been impacted by disease, poverty, political turmoil, and natural disasters. This movement pioneered the training of emerging leaders throughout the world to reach and disciple their own people. These activities take place in the United States and in 65 countries around the world through highly trained workers who serve via four special mission structures, access workers proclaiming the gospel and multiply networks of faith, communities, uh, among the least reached per people of the world. You, you remember in the Mozambique piece we talked about uh, unreached people group, a high concentration of people. That, that's that 1040 window that we often talk about in missions where, uh, where there's the, a high concentration of people who have never yet heard. They're the Samaritan. They're the uttermost part of the earth kind of things. Also served through common service, Compassion Mercy Associates, Specialists respond to disasters globally and partner locally to help restore or to restore communities and alleviate poverty. We talked about last week um, the uh, earthquake in Puerto Rico. And I don't know if you've been listening to the news this week, but there was another earthquake in Ankara, Turkey. I think it was Ankara, Turkey? Out there. Yeah. So, so it's 6.9 there. So, you know, there may be a variety of ways in which that kind of uh, care can be given. Envision. Works, workers identify and develop uh, missional leaders to promote opportunities through short-term missions and innovative uh, mission, ministry strategies. Uh, I was not able to get Nathan Conklin here. 
Uh, I, I didn't get on the radar screen quick enough to, but he, he's one of our district missionaries who works in uh, Envision Ministry site in Taiwan. And so uh, there's a lot of good things to share. And if you're interested in what's going on in his world, I can hook you up with him and, and he can share more stuff with you via internet and all that kind of stuff. And then Marketplace Ministries is another area of professional bring their vocational expertise to a community to disciple those around the world. And sometimes that can take the place of things like midwifery, midwifery, uh, which might sound a Sharonish kind of thing. So, And if that, if that went right over your head, talk to me later and I'll fill in the blanks if you need it. So administer to the whole man. In this particular story, verse 7 says, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Um, I, I came across a book this week. Uh, it just came in the mailbox uh, from some some guy locally. but uh, And I started to read through it, and I thought it was interesting. One of the comments he made is, in our day, we've, we've pretty much dismissed uh, uh, the, the concept of of, uh, of Satan as a as a being, as a real being, and you may believe about evil, but you kind of discount this whole business about Satan. You know what is he all about? You know, we've got the picture of a red uniform and a pitchfork and that kind of thing, and we say that's kind of antiquated, and so I'm not interested in that kind of thing, and so we discount him. But yet the reality is, we live in a world in which there are spiritual forces at work, and they can and do wreak havoc in the lives of people. We can talk about demon possession. We can talk about demonic oppression. We can talk about demonic obsession. We can talk about different kinds of levels of that involvement. But here, Peter is simply preaching the word, and the, and the demonic spirits, the evil spirits, encounter the truth of the person of Christ and things begin to happen and and kingdoms in conflict occur and the kingdom of God being stronger than the kingdom of darkness begins to displace some things now interesting thing is that shrieks evil spirits came out of many didn't say all of them but many of them, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. It's interesting that the word that is used there, we get our word therapy from in terms of healing. We get our, our, our English word therapy from. And it's, it's simply the power of God showing up uh, to demonstrate in sign and wonder uh, to this group of people the reality and truth of the power of Christ. Uh, and, and it may or may not happen as often or frequently in our day, but it's certainly not limited so that it cannot happen. And certainly the power of God is able to penetrate the lives of people and rescue them from the kingdom of, the, of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of his dear son. And that's what the power encounter uh, movement is, is about. Here it ministers to the whole man. Not only is stuff of all of Jesus for all of the world, but also affecting the, the spiritual need, the spirit uh, kind of thing, in terms of the evil spirits that came out, and then people who had physical problems as well. I, I still believe, and we still practice, that in our day, 
when there is need in body, we can have the privilege of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And the scriptures lay out a protocol that we follow that says, let him call for the elders of the church, let him anoint, over, anoint them with oil and pray with them, pray over them. And the prayer of faith will save or heal the sick. And I believe that sometimes we don't get that because we don't bother to ask. And I believe that one of the things we have the privilege of doing is simply sharing the good news. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get food, and we get the opportunity to minister to the whole man. It also resulted, one more piece, in great joy. There was great joy in that city, the end of verse 8. And it's just a real simple little verse. So there was great joy in the city. The assumption is there wasn't much joy in Mudville in Samaria until Jesus showed up into town. And there may not be a lot of joy that happened in, in Wilkes-Barre until Jesus shows up in town. And so that the power of God can be set loose and lives can be changed. But it's focusing upon the message, the message. So we've got, so we've got, we've got a mission that's clear. They, 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 they know what that's about. They've got an available person, a messenger, who's simply saying, uh, almost, like, almost like Isaiah, well, here am I, send me. And, and, and then he goes with the simplicity of the message of Jesus only centering upon the Christ, ministering to the whole needs uh, of men, and then it results in great joy. Oh, so many years ago now, there was a gal named Laverne in, uh, when we were in seminary in St. Paul. And uh, I remember the pastor, Jerry Wellborn, uh, praying with her, and she got up from the altar. Her comment was this. She had some real challenges in her life. She got up from the altar. She said, it's like Christmas. It's like Christmas. And that great joy in the city was Laverne's that day because of placing her faith in the person of Jesus. I mentioned uh, Steve Green earlier in terms of a song. And uh, there's a song that I think, I think we're going to get it. Okay, it was, it was a struggle to, to get this lined up here. Uh, and I'm so grateful for Frank's capable uh, hands back there. But it's, it's called The Mission. And if you just listen to it uh, as we close, uh, it might capture well the heart and sentiment of this message this morning. So listen to it, and then I'll just conclude in prayer after we're done listening. Responsibly to deepen our devotion 
likely um, the sharing of that mission will occur through 
you where God has planted you. People might come into a church to hear a preacher, but they'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. So let's pause for prayer. <clears throat> Father, um, we have entered to worship, and now we get to exit to serve. And uh, help us to always remember that you have said you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And these men and women here will go places I will not go this week because that's where you've called them. You've called me to place in my own community, just like you've called these ones. And my prayer is that we'll always be conscious that we have a mission. And simply put, it may be to love the Lord our God and to let that love be shown to others around us. So thank you, Father, for the mission. Thank you that we are partners together in that, and you'll use us in ways to bring glory to your name. So I pray for each one of these men and women that you will use them for the furtherance and expansion of the kingdom of God in a world that needs to see the truth in Jesus' name. For what you'll do, we'll thank you and give you praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. I pray God will use you, encourage you as you go. God bless you. Have a great week.